Take our Bibles today. Turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17 today. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse eight, uh, 11, excuse me, verse 11. Again, we're coming up on uh, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. How about you? I like it. It's one of my favorite uh, holidays, and again, uh, it's just, uh, I, I don't know if it's the combination of food and food or <laughs> I like it though I'll tell you that I enjoy it and uh, I, I guess it's just to be frank with you I'm gonna be honest with you I don't like Christmas because I personally think it's a big waste of money Amen. it's my personal opinion you do what you want but I tell you one thing if I can give you a piece of advice don't go into debt over Christmas don't do it and and, and try not to spend money that you think you're gonna get <laughs> You just uh, spend money what you got, and that means a lot less probably. But let me tell you something. There's something about going to bed at night and knowing that all your bills are paid. That's nice, knowing that it's all taken care of. And, uh, boy, just everything's so expensive nowadays, isn't it? I remember when we used to do Christmas, and I'm sure you remember these days too, where, you know, you spent, I don't know, you know, 50 bucks on every kid and everybody's happy. And, uh, you know, nowadays, you know, it's $50 just to 
you know, buy a phone cover or something, you know, you know, it's just ridiculous, the cost of things, you know, and uh, boy, it just seems like, you know, it's not just a couple hundred bucks anymore, it's a couple thousand dollars, and uh, boy, it just gets so expensive, so I guess I like Thanksgiving because you can get with family and friends, and you can uh, enjoy some food and fellowship, and it don't cost you an arm and a leg, uh, maybe a turkey or a ham or something, but other than that, you're pretty good shape, and I like that about it, no pressure, you know what I mean? Good to see you. Uh, where's your present? Uh, you don't need that. See, Thanksgiving, no presents, right? Okay, I kind of like that. And uh, I enjoy getting a present. I like giving presents. But, uh, boy, it's tough sometimes, you know, especially some of you that don't have a lot of money. You know what I'm talking about. When you got it, it's fun, and it's nice to be able to provide those things. You enjoy it. When you don't have it, there's a lot of pressure there. And sometimes even families unwittingly put a lot of pressure on folks that don't have money. And they say, well, I don't understand why you can't afford that, you know, and, and they don't get it sometimes. And that's okay. And obviously, let's face it, as believers in Christ, we give a lot of our finances and funds to the Lord. So we don't have the excess that maybe family have. You know, we're tithing. We're giving above the tithe. We're giving to missions. We're giving to the building fund. We're giving all this extra money. And we're like, wow, I'm tapped out already. And they're going, where's all that money at? Well, you make good money. What's your problem? And you're thinking, I give a lot of it. And you don't want to be, you know, coy about it or anything. But down deep, you're thinking, yeah, if you gave this many thousands and thousands of dollars a year, you might not have money either. So, you know, we, we choose to spend our money on different things because we're eternal people we're going to an eternal place. It isn't about today. It's about tomorrow, you know. So our families don't get that. I understand that. But, and you can't explain that. You just can't. But you just take it. But uh, I love Thanksgiving, and I think that's one of the reasons why, as well as the good food and fellowship. Well, Luke chapter 17, I can't wait. Plus, you get a long weekend. You get two days off, you know, you get Thursday and Friday off. And uh, we give the office off here Thursday and Friday. And then, of course, we're back soul winning on Saturday mornings. But we certainly enjoy and look forward to those days off. It makes for a short week, a nice week. And then again, we, we moved our service from Wednesday to Tuesday for a reason. We did that because we understand that many of you ladies and some of you fellows may even be involved in cooking and preparing and making cookies and all that stuff. And it's kind of nice to do it the night before, you know, and uh, you know, you, you don't have to come back and work till one in the morning or something. You can start that afternoon and kind of work through, you know. And many of you might get the afternoon off Wednesday, even if you, you know, you got some time off. You may take an afternoon off. So you get started and you got to go to church and you go home. And so we thought, we'll just switch that day. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says we can't. And so we decided to do that just for your convenience. And some of you may be traveling. We wanted to be aware of that need. And uh, we certainly are grateful that we can take the time to think about you and try to put you in a position where you don't feel uh, pressured as much. And so anyway, Tuesday night, we'll have our services. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. It's great to be a Christian. Notice what it says here in verse 11. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into the certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, shew yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. 
in our passage, we can note a couple of things. First of all, we note the location of what's taking place here. Verse 11, he's on his way to Jerusalem, really. It would seem that it would be his final trip to Jerusalem before ultimately he would be mocked and maligned and mistreated and ultimately hung on a Calvary and there die for the sin of the world. And so we see him making his way back to Jerusalem for his final trip. He travels across this certain village, the Bible tells us. We're not really given any other details. We know that it's a village. We know that it's obviously a little bit out of the way. It's probably not too awfully large. But there we find some lepers. Those lepers in verse 12 and 13. And in our passage, we're introduced to ten of them. They find themselves outcasts in that particular economy or that lifestyle there in early Bible days. We find that they were separated from the others. They were not permitted to indulge or engage in fellowship and in the context of family and friends. No, they were separated from them. As a matter of fact, it seems here that the Bible tells us that for a reason that he met the lepers who they were standing afar off. Why would they be standing afar off? Why would they be rushing the Lord Jesus Christ? Why didn't they just come on down into the village and make themselves known right there before all? Because they weren't permitted to. Lepers weren't allowed. They cry out for mercy, the Bible tells us. And then we note the Lord. When He saw them, He said to them, Go shew yourselves to the priests. Of course He demonstrated mercy. Of course He extended mercy. That's what the Lord Jesus does. They had by faith come to Him. They had uh, cried out to Him. Of course, they could not go directly to Him. So from a distance, they said, Have mercy on us. And Jesus, of course, has mercy and tells them to go show themselves to the priest. You say, why would He say go show themselves to the priest? Well, once again, when a leper was declared unclean, it was because a priest had declared them unclean. Now in the law, when a leper was healed or appeared to be free from their leprosy, they had to go back to the priest and there, according to the law, be deemed clean again. So Jesus, upholding the law, which he always did, because he fulfilled the law, the Bible says, sends the lepers back to the priest to be declared clean before they would be permitted to join and participate in society again. We are not sure exactly how long after they had turned to go see the priests, after they had been told to go and make their way back, before finally one of them turns around and comes back. We're not sure how far they'd gone, whether they'd gone 50 yards, whether they'd gone a quarter mile or a mile. We're not sure. We really don't know. But what we do know is that one of those lepers was willing to return and did return. Notice what the passage says again. It says in chapter 17, verse 16, excuse me, 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. One of them turned around. One of them came back. One of them thanked the Lord. Jesus, he says, Were there not ten healed? Where are the nine? Isn't that something? And I believe we can learn some lessons today. So we look at those verses 15 through 18. 
there's a couple of lessons we can learn. And I want to share some quick lessons with you. We have a baptism yet. We certainly want to leave time for that. We've had a video and some comments, and we've done a few other things along the way. Let's go ahead and take just a few moments now and learn some lessons from this passage that will help us as we face this time of, quote, thanksgiving, and as we as believers learn to be thankful. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Help us in these next few moments as we just glean a couple of simple lessons from your word. May you be glorified in it. We'll thank you and praise you. And Lord, if there be any loss without Christ, may they be saved today. May their heart be stirred. And Lord, for the believer, may we, Father, be ever more convinced that we need to be thankful in everything. We love you, Lord, and we give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Some lessons from the passage. We saw the location, the lepers, the Lord. Now let's consider the lessons. Number one, verse 15 and 17. I want you to note what it says. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He turned back. Verse 18, we notice here, there, there, are, not found, there are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. Notice one, one of the ten came back. One of the ten Return to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. The first lesson that we need to learn. Brother, here, give that to him. The first lesson that we need to learn is number one, thanking God is not the norm. Thanking God is not the norm. That's not normal to thank God. Sadly, ingratitude is much more common than gratitude today. I mean, it's just a reality. Ingratitude is more common than gratitude. Rarely do we hear the words, thank you, today. It doesn't seem to happen like it used to. Do you know, it wasn't that long ago, just a few weeks back, that our junior church leader passed out some cookies to the children in our junior church. Of the 16 who received cookies, only four of those children said thank you. That's interesting, isn't it? To which he responded by giving the four that said thank you another cookie. I'd imagine those children who didn't say thank you learned a very valuable lesson that day. (laughs) You know, this attitude of ingratitude is prevailing in our culture, and it is prevailing around the world. It's everywhere. Hot springs and cold springs are found side by side in some parts of Mexico. And because of the convenience of that natural phenomena, there are those that especially women that will take their laundry to certain places like that. On one hand, they can boil the clothes, and then on the other hand, they can rinse them in cold water. So there was a a, a tourist there one day, and he was there with his tour guide, and he was watching this particular procedure, and he made a statement to the guide. He said, I imagine uh, they think Mother Nature is pretty generous to supply such ample, clean, hot, and cold water right here, side by side, for their free use. (laughs) And the guide said, No, senor. There is much grumbling because he supplies no soap. (laughs) And you know what? That's just about how it is, isn't it? I mean, no matter how good it gets, it seems there's always something that we're discontented about, disenchanted about. Ingratitude, again, is not limited to any particular race or people. It's it's as old as Adam, and it continues to haunt humanity. Um, Look, if you will, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. Exodus fifteen twenty four. All the way back in that Old Testament, Exodus chapter 15, beginning verse 24. We're just going to read that one verse. God has just performed some all-inspiring miracles. I mean to tell you, He has benefited the people, blessed the people. 
He slayed the firstborn in Egypt so that uh, Pharaoh would free the people. He provided a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to guide the people of Israel. I mean, he, he opened up the Red Sea so they could cross over. And then once they crossed over, he allowed the sea to close back up on the armies of Egypt. But when they hit their first snag, when they came against their first roadblock, instead of trusting God, they turned to complaining. Notice it says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? After everything God had done, after every blessing He had given, the first thing out of their mouth when they hit the first snag in the road was, What in the world are we going to drink? That rings of ingratitude, does it not? May I say that thanking God is not the norm? It's just not the norm. It's just not the norm. Number two, another lesson we learn from our passage is this. God doesn't understand our ingratitude. God does not understand our ingratitude. Again, ingratitude's been recorded and reckoned with throughout history. Every generation has had to deal with it. Everywhere you go, around the world. Sadly, it's not only prevalent in our society today, but it would seem that it's being endorsed and even condoned. Uh, Poe Bronson, in the article, Why Counting Blessings is So Hard for Teenagers, makes these comments. He says, Parents and teachers tend to recognize that being grateful and being a teenager are often diametrically opposed. Okay. To be a teenager, in the classic sense, means expressing a fundamental desire to individuate, individuate from one's family. This is not unhealthy behavior. It's completely normal. They're soon to be independent adults, and they need to take themselves for test drives. Pushing parents away and uh, wanting things to be done of your own uh, business and exhibiting total ignorance of all you've done for them are all behaviors that conjure independence. Asking them to be grateful and wishing they'd be more aware of how their success is due to you is difficult for them to feel at the same time as they're trying to get from out from under your thumb. Thus, grateful teenagers are rare, not the norm. So basically what he's saying is, is that your teenagers are ungrateful or unthankful. Well, that's just normal because they're seeking independence. They don't want to have to believe somehow that you're responsible for their successes. No, they want to be individuals. They want to say, I'm responsible. I'm my own person. So they're not grateful to you. And that should be normal. Don't let that bother you. It's very rare to find a teenager that is thankful. The norm is ungratitude or ingratitude and unthankfulness. In his book, Nature Shock, he further states, For kids with a strong need for autonomy and independence, it might be demoralizing to recognize how much they are dependent upon grown-ups. Isn't that terrible to tell your child that without you they wouldn't have a roof over their head, food in their belly, or clothes on their back? It's demoralizing. Totally demoralizing. They might already feel like adults are pulling all the strings in their lives. Controlling what they eat, what they study, and what, what they're allowed to wear, and who they hang out with. And, and they'd rather feel self-reliant than beholden. Their sense of independence might be an illusion. But it's necessary illusion for the psychological balance and future growth into genuine independence. Their lack of gratitude might be the way they maintain the illusion that they are in control of their own lives. 
What, what, what is that about? I mean, we want them to grow up with an illusion that they're in control. I think that that plays right into the idea that they can continue to grow up with the illusion that they're in control of their nation, their country, their world, their families, and all along the government's pushing buttons and they're being told what to believe by, by those that, uh, uh, by those, um, that are uh, advertising on television and those uh, that are telling them that their government's wonderful and that this person's really all for the people when he's really not. Hey, I think that they're trying to raise a generation that doesn't even think for themselves and doesn't see things in reality. And as a matter of fact, it is a little perturbing to me to think that there's a people that have grown up to believe this kind of mess that now believe that they have a right to deserve everything that you have and I have when they don't work. That's a little bit offensive to me if you really want the honest truth. I have a little problem with just trying to feed their illusion. And I'll tell you what, this is detrimental to our culture, it's detrimental to our churches, and it is certainly detrimental to our children. Educators and psychologists may dismiss ingratitude as being a normal stage or phase in a child's development, but God doesn't see it that way, folks. God doesn't look at ingratitude that way. He doesn't say, well, it's all right in this case. It's okay to be unthankful in this situation or circumstance. No, the Bible says that we're commanded to be thankful. Take your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 5, would you please? Ephesians chapter 5. Now listen, I'm not talking about what the world says, and I'm not discussing what teachers or educators or psychologists, psychiatrists say. I'm talking about what the Word of God teaches. Let's see what God says our responsibility is. We are commanded to be thankful, Ephesians 5.20. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always, always for all things. Isn't that, that's a tall order right there, isn't it? I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out. But what I do know is biblically and scripturally that there's never a time where I'm to be unthankful if I'm to be thankful in all things and always. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Turn to the right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. There we read, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Wow. But, 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 but thankful, Lord... Uh, I mean, there's a group of people that are struggling and they need the illusion of independence. What do you mean the illusion of independence? The moment that people think they're independent without God and no need of God, we got a problem anyway. What is the problem with that? Why in the world can we, how could we ever think somehow that we are independent of God? Why would we want to think that way? And so instead we breed it in our teenagers, independence. No, none of us are truly independent. Colossians 3.17, two verses down. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Giving thanks again. 1 Thessalonians, again, to the right. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He sums it up pretty simply here in chapter 5, verse 18, the book of 1 Thessalonians, as he writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says in that particular passage, chapter 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, I don't know about you, but I can take what that gentleman said and uh, I can go ahead and excuse the, the, the ungratitude or ingratitude of my teenager and I can accept it as being normal. Or I can say, well, God created him and God created me and I'm a child of God and he claims to be a child of God. And even if he's not, he lives in my home. And the fact is, is that truly I ought to be, according to the Bible, giving thanks 
always, in everything, giving thanks. So who am I going to follow? Who am I going to believe? Who am I going to apply? Whose truths will I apply in my life? Will it be the truths of a psychologist, psychiatrist, or some kind of author of a book, or a philosophy, or ideology of the world? Or will I apply the truths of God's word to my life, my home, my family? Let me tell you what, you'll be much happier today if you'll demand and require your children or teach and train them up to be grateful and thankful for what they have. And you'll be thankful down the road as adults if you will be thankful and grateful as well. See, when God commands or demands something, it's not a request. It's not a suggestion. Now, again, we may like to believe that God understands our ingratitude. We like to believe that God understands our sin, that somehow he gets it. Oh, I, you know, I, he knows how he made me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my concerns. He knows my problems. He knows that I really would like to do right, but I just struggle. You know, we like to justify our behavior by somehow believing that God justifies it. But that's not how it is. The truth is that God has provided us with every tool needed and every opportunity necessary to comply with to comply with and to obey his requirement, his commands. I mean, he doesn't tell you to do something without giving you the ability to accomplish it. He doesn't say, well, you have to be thankful, but then say, well, you're on your own, figure it out. No, he says, I'll give you the tools you need. I'll provide you the necessary elements. And you know what he provided for us? He provided this idea of being new creatures in Christ. That's one thing. We're not who we used to be. We're different. We're changed. We're unique. We're different. We're peculiar people today. We have literally the Christ of the Bible, God himself living in us. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're new to the faith. You've just learned about Christ. You've received Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you have an attitude of ingratitude today, you are in sin. You are not right with God. You need to get that right and get on board with Jesus Christ. You're not who you used to be, so quit relying and saying, well, that's just how I am. I can't help it. Yes, you can. You're a new creature. You're not who you used to be. Number two, not only that, but we've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed with the Holy Ghost. Well, let me tell you something. At Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came down in chapter 2 of Acts. And when he did, he empowered the church to accomplish the calling and the goals of God. And let me tell you, God will enable you to overcome and to accomplish what he wants for you to accomplish. And that includes being thankful. Look, if you will, over in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They'd been arrested for preaching the gospel. They're released, and all of a sudden we find them in this prayer meeting now in Acts chapter 4. Notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They're praying now. And now, Lord... Behold their threatenings. Again, they're praying, saying, God, these people are threatening us. They're saying, don't you preach the resurrected Christ. Don't you share the gospel of Jesus. Don't you tell people that they're lost without Jesus Christ. Don't you tell them that the law cannot save. Don't you ever open your mouth and tell them that they don't need to go to the priest, confess sins, or sacrifice animals anymore. No, you keep your mouth shut. That's what they were telling them. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. 
And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. By the way, it's not just Peter and John in this prayer meeting. There's believers here. They're not all apostles. They're men and women of God, just like you and I. Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the, thy holy child Jesus. Now again, understand that in those days, they did. They were able to do miracles, especially by the hand of the apostles, especially. And there were a number of others that were apostles that aren't even listed to you. You, you see them there. Ultimately, you know, you think just about the apostle Paul. You think about John and you think about Peter. But there were others that are listed in the Bible. There's about three or four others that are listed. They were given the ability to, to do miracles. But the Bible says the Jew requires a sign. They're dealing with the Jew now. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going around the area. They're trying to reach those Jews with the gospel. Guess what the Jew needs? A sign. So he sees healing. He sees devils being cast out. He recognizes and sees these supernatural miracles. By the way, that all ended at the end of the New Testament church, the early church, because there was a completed word of God. And now we operate and function by faith. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We don't need somebody to tell us they had a dream. We don't need somebody to tell us they saw a 900 foot Jesus. We simply need to believe the word of God. One day in the tribulation, this will all kick back off again when God begins to deal with the Jews again. But until then, there's no need for healings. There's no need for all of these miracles that we see early on. They were just Credit, uh, giving accreditation uh, to these apostles and to those who ultimately would write the word of God and they'd say they have authority according to, God's according to God. So now we have their word. It's closed. No need for further revelation. No other revelation. No matter what any other faith says. We have the word of God and that's all we need. Right here. So what are they praying for? He goes on to say, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with what? The Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with what? Boldness. The very thing they prayed for, God gave them. He gave them the ability to do what they were going to do. Now here's the thing. The power to preach and to fulfill the Great Commission was given to the apostles and to the early church. That was the commission. It, it, it's, it's given to us today. It continues through to the New Testament church. The Holy Ghost was their power source. The Holy Ghost was who enabled them to accomplish everything God had required of them. That means that the Holy Spirit enabled them to go out into a hostile environment, preach the gospel, be hauled off to jail if necessary, endure and then deal with that situation, possibly being persecuted, even losing their life. The Holy Spirit of God indwelled in them, empowering them to accomplish what God called them to do. We have the same spirit in us that the apostles had. Amen. If the spirit of God can enable them to stand before their enemies and to boldly proclaim his name while facing persecution or even death, surely that same spirit can enable us to express gratitude in our lives. It's kind of ridiculous to think, well, I, you know, you just don't understand what I've been through. I can't possibly thank the Lord. I can't possibly be thankful for what God's doing in my life. I can't be grateful to others. I, I just can't. But, but they could... By the same power, die for their faith. We can't even live for it. See, don't kid yourself. God doesn't understand your ingratitude. He doesn't understand mine. He empowers us. He gives us every tool we need to get the job done. If it's not being done in our lives, if there's ingratitude, I don't care if you're 10. 
I don't care if you're a hundred. The fact is, is that you are in the flesh and you're not allowing God to work in your life. That's the reality of it, according to the Word of God. Because it's the Spirit of God that empowers us, enables us to do what God commands us to do. Finally, number three, thanking God brings glory to Him. In verse 16 and 18 of our passage, Luke chapter 17, the Bible says, He fell down on His face at His feet, giving Him thanks, and He was a Samaritan. And there was not found, verse 18, that returned to give glory to God, save the stranger. You know, when we thank God, we're giving Him glory. You know, as God's children, we ought to be quick to thank Him for everything. And that attitude does. It, it, it exalts Christ. The world stands by and they, they watch us as we express our gratitude and our thankfulness to God in every given situation. It testifies of His reality and it testifies to His glory. The truth is, is that ingratitude and unthankfulness and selfishness are bad for us. They're not good at all for us. Matter of fact, they contribute greatly to our nation's moral decay and to the disintegration of our culture. They've weakened us as a people, spiritually, morally, ethically, physically even. Ingratitude is a horrible, horrible disease. Sadly, those aspects of ingratitude and selfishness are responsible for the spiritual decline that we experience in our churches, for the apostasy even that we permit in. You say, how's that? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. We run into a people here described to us, a people who had known God's truth, who had practiced God's ways in their lives. However, um, they weren't very thankful for it. And as a result of that, they rejected and they returned to the ways of the world. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 1. Beginning in verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice the, the correlation between their ingratitude and their ultimate end. It's pretty sad, really, when you think about it. So they rejected these truths. They were ungrateful to God. They weren't thankful to the Lord for what they had. And as a result of what that, that response, the, their foolish heart was darkened. They returned back to the world. See, God looks upon ingratitude as nothing less than sin itself. And it was a sin, that same sin that was noted by God in the church at Laodicea in chapter 3 of Revelation. And you know what? It's prevalent in our culture. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Sadly enough, ingratitude has permeated our churches. Now, wait a second. It's not just our junior church kids then. It's obviously an attitude that we as adults must work on. We have to focus on it. We must be very aware of it in our lives. Uh, just the other day, uh, when we were at the men's conference the, the night before, uh, uh, you know, uh, my dad had said to me, he said, 
Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, I said, I just want a milkshake tonight, the steak and shake. I don't want to eat. I've had pizza and I've already ate once here at the Cracker Barrel. And I decided I wasn't going to eat a third time that night. And I just was going to have a milkshake, okay? Some of them made those seven by sevens that are like, you know, I mean, it's huge. But anyway, I decided just to get a milkshake. And so my dad said he had to buy one, get one free coupon. He said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll buy your milkshake. I said, oh, I get the free one? Great. I didn't think nothing of it. I went ahead and had my milkshake. Uh, and then uh, yesterday, last, before I went to bed, uh, Saturday night, or Saturday ne- night, I should say, I was over at my parents' house watching the ball game and watching the Ohio State uh, football team go to their uh, demise and burn into a million flames, crash and burn. But anyway, um, I, I thought about this for a second, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I never said thank you for that. And I thought, man, I need to thank my dad for that. So before I left last night, I said, oh, by the way, I want to thank you for that milkshake last night. You say, that's ridiculous, stupid. No, it isn't. It's not dumb. And we need to be thankful people. We need to practice our gratitude, not just preach about it, but practice it. It's important that we're thankful. And notice what's going on here in Revelation 3.17, because this is the characteristic of our churches in this day and age in which we live. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. Notice that. You say, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. He says, but thou knowest. You knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, only a selfish, thankless, and ungrateful person can say, I am wealthy. I'm a self-made man. I have, I have earned everything by my own hard work and ingenuity. I've done this. I have worked hard. I have a great mind. I'm the one that made this happen. That's selfish. That's, that is, that, that, that's totally un... It's not Christ-like. It's not even true. Oh, I don't need to thank anybody for what I have. Really? Huh, that's interesting because John chapter 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the Bible says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Nobody worked harder than the Apostle Paul, but he didn't go around saying, hey, it was all me. Look at all these churches I started. Look at all this I've done. No, he says it's the grace of God. See, God's good to you and I today. He's very good to us. And the man or woman that does not take the time to thank God consistently and constantly is a man or woman who's lost touch with reality. The reality that there's a God in heaven that gives every good gift, according to James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God alone is responsible for your successes, my successes, for our supply. We can work hard and we ought to work hard. But the very strength we possess is granted by the Holy One Himself. Amen. We can't forget that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Because of time, let me just read it. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do as, it, uh, do as of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Notice that. Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 
Again, every good thing that we have in our lives, every single thing is a direct result of God. We ought to be grateful to the Lord. How do we express gratitude? We could go on and on. But gratitude is so important to us today. We could take the time to look at the book of Acts chapter 14 and there Paul and Barnabas again are preaching the gospel. There they find themselves being ultimately praised and even worshipped by people who were pagan. And in the end, when it's all said and done, they say, why do you do these things? We also are men like passion with you and preach to you uh, that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. They say, listen, don't worship us. Don't praise us. You ought to be praising the one who created all things. It had been tempting to enjoy that praise and worship. But instead, they deflected it to Christ, who truly deserves it and has the right to it. There were ten lepers healed that day, but only one returned to thank the Lord. And we learn a few things. One, thanking God's not the norm. That's what we learn from the lepers. We learn that God doesn't understand our ingratitude. Where, where are the nine? I don't get it, Jesus said. Where are they at? I don't understand this. And then thanking God brings glory to him. That one returns and he glorifies God by thanking and being praising the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's your practice today? What's your practice? Are you genuinely grateful for all that God's given you? To God for everything? I mean, do you honor him by being thankful? And, you know, we're going into Thanksgiving and that's a wonderful day. Thankfulness isn't something we practice a day, a year. It's something we practice every day. Do you know Christ as your Savior today? You know, I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ became a man. I'm glad that He came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life. I'm glad that He ultimately took that horrible journey to Calvary where they nailed His hands and His feet onto that cross where he suffered the shame and the humiliation i'm glad that he didn't just die though i'm glad that three days later he rose again and you know and i can thank god for his sacrifice i thank god for his shed blood that washed my sin away and that gives to me eternal life forever can you thank god for that life today are you confident are you sure that heaven's your home before you leave you ought to settle that you ought to know it In a moment, the musical play will give you a chance to respond to the message and you need to come forward. You need to let Christ forgive your sin. You need to let Christ become your Savior. You need to be able to say, thank you, Lord, that I'm no longer lost in my sin. Thank you that I'm no longer bound by my sin. Thank you that I'm your child saved on my way to heaven. You can thank God for that day in, day out, year in and year out. Child of God, are you deflecting any praise and honor to God? Anything in your life that somebody says, wow, man, I appreciate the hard work you're doing here at the office. By the grace of God, brother. By the grace of God, sir. It's all God's glory. It's all to Him be glory. Or is it, oh, thank you, yeah. Good deal. Yep, I probably can expect a raise this year, right? I've worked hard, that's right. And I know every situation you can't necessarily throw certain things in. I know sometimes it can be somewhat repetitive, but we need to be careful that our heart attitude is truly, but by the grace of God, thanking Him. Father, help us today. We need you.
bless us, encourage us. Father, we 